This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. This week marks the second anniversary of Illinois residents waking up to a new pandemic reality. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're listening to Reset. Two years ago this week, Illinois issued a statewide stay-at-home order to curb the spread of COVID-19. It went into effect on March 21st, 2020. Since then, the pandemic has taken many twists and turns, and too many people have died and experienced incredible losses. Some psychologists say that we will be processing and analyzing the mental and physical effects of these two years for decades to come. So today we take a moment to reflect on what we've learned these past two years and what we might want to take with us moving forward in our personal lives and as a society. Joining us in these reflections is Jonathan Malesic, author of The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. Welcome back, John. It's great to be back. What do you remember from the first few days of the stay-at-home order in your state? Yeah, I, I live in Texas, and I remember confusion, fear, and just uncertainty about what might happen next. I, I can recall thinking, okay, well, two or three weeks, and uh, you know, we'll kind of lock down, and things will will be fine again. But as we now know, there's just been a total upheaval in our society, which we're still dealing with. Yeah, there was so much confusion, John. I remember, for me, it felt strange at the time for obvious reasons. But at work, the majority of my colleagues back then, they were sent home. And given my role, I was actually asked to continue working from the office. So that was strange for me, because all of a sudden, it was like, you snap your fingers, and then we became a ghost town. And it reminds me right now of, of the many essential workers among us who really haven't been able to put in-person work on pause the entire time. Right. And I think that that's one of the big lessons that we have hopefully taken away. And you know, like you said, it will take years and perhaps decades to make sense of what has happened prior to the pandemic if you had asked people, you know, what, who are the most important workers, right? I think that we had this sense in American society that, first of all, if you have a job, then you count. If you don't, then you don't count. And I think that we tended to value people based on how much they earned or how much education their work required. And very quickly, all those assumptions were turned upside down. Yeah. 20 million people lost their jobs almost literally overnight, and they didn't lose their dignity as human beings. They mattered to our society just as much as they did before. 
And suddenly it was the people who are often earning lower wages, sometimes minimum wage or sub-minimum wage, mm-hmm. who we depended on the most. And these are the workers that we absolutely, the rest of us cannot do without. You know, some listeners might be wondering why it's even worthwhile for us to, to spend time thinking about lessons that we learned. It's been such a tragic time, right? But how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has been a tragic time. And the most important fact that has occurred over the last two years is the loss of nearly a million lives. And in addition, you know, there there have been so many other losses that we've endured, you know, losses of certainty about, you know, what, what things may look like in the next week or so on. I mean, yeah. you know, so many aspects of our daily lives changed not just once, but multiple times. And yeah, I mean, the, the fact is that we who have survived still need to go ahead. And yeah. so many of our, our assumptions were, were upended in, in a way, like an unintentional society-wide experiment. And there are going to be takeaways so that we can build a, a better society right. on the other side of this. Yeah, and in this conversation, we, we do want to focus on those those takeaways, John. Um, further, uh, later in the program, we will talk about uh, the losses uh, that we've endured. As you, you brought up, nearly a million people have lost their lives. And so we'll be joined by uh, infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Teramina, and we'll where we'll sort of uh, dig into that a little bit more. But I, I want to play a little clip for you here. Uh, Tal Ben-Shahar is a, a writer and former professor of happiness studies. And he says this time has made us really ask questions like, what do we really want? And how do we live a deliberate life? So here's a clip of some reflections from Reset producers. My name's Nareda, and I'm a producer on Reset. I think like many people, working from home has just brought me closer to my dog, Borrega. I think we've both developed separation anxiety. I've just gotten so used to being able to take her on long walks, you know, during my lunch break or spending time with her when I'm stressed. So fingers crossed for a hybrid work schedule. My name is Linnea. I'm a producer on the show. And before the pandemic, my partner and I never had time to cook together. He's a chef and we didn't have days off in common. And the last thing we wanted to do after one of his long shifts working in a kitchen was spend more time in a kitchen cooking. Um, But we both love food so much. So this was something we had always wanted to make time for, but we just couldn't get around to it. And so with the stay at home order and not being able to go anywhere, we finally had the time to spend in the kitchen getting creative. And we made so many memorable, delicious meals. And I want to make sure that we continue to make time to do that. I'm Claire and I'm a freelance producer at Reset. My biggest lesson from the pandemic is that family and friends in my community is not a secondary priority, but it is the main priority. When the lockdown started, I was living hundreds of miles away from most of the people I cared about. I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico and had moved there for a job. And I realized that no matter how great a place is or how great an opportunity is, it wasn't gonna be enough for me if I wasn't 
there to spend time with the people I loved and take care of the people I loved. So over the course of the pandemic, I moved back closer to home and I have not regretted it since. And a reminder, we want to hear your reflections too. It's two years after a statewide shutdown to slow the spread of COVID. So give us a call. Tell us, have your priorities changed at all? Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. John, after listening to that, uh, tell us your thoughts on on how to live a deliberate life. Yeah, I mean, I think about, and I, I loved hearing those reflections, and I think about the those first weeks of the pandemic, you know, when, when the first weeks of the shutdowns in any case, when so many things, uh, so many of our assumptions shifted and it's, it was an incredibly scary time, but as those reflections suggested, it was also a time for people to, you know, reset, uh, following, you know, the name of the show, mm-hmm. um, to reset some of their, their expectations. I mean, I think that that period early in the pandemic, I, I think we need to keep reflecting on it as scary as that may be, because in terms of our work lives, it opened up so many possibilities that we we didn't even have a chance to think about. So, you know, 20 million people lost their jobs and most of them were eligible for an unprecedented level of unemployment insurance afterwards. So they were able to have a living wage without having to go to work. Yeah. And that's a massive collective experience that if we continue to reflect on it, that can be the basis of reorganizing the role that work plays in our lives. Because like we did it. We were able to have a society where we were not breaking our backs, uh, laboring, and people were, you know, able to provide for themselves and their families. And, you know, I wonder what of that can be recovered in a time, hopefully, post-pandemic. Yeah. And and as you think of of all the things that we've learned about work over these past two years, what do you think it's important for us to even begin holding on to? I think that the biggest keyword for me is the idea of dignity. You know, as I, I mentioned before, the standard... American belief uh, is that you have dignity if you have a job. If you don't have a job, then you're kind of, you know, a questionable person uh, in society. And, you know, what we learned right away is that people lost their jobs. They did not lose their dignity. And we actually rearranged our society in order to protect really vulnerable people, people who, uh, if they caught the virus, were in real danger. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a recognition of their dignity, you know, the dignity of those vulnerable people. We've done it. We have, (laughs) we, we had a temporary society where the dignity of the most vulnerable was the most important thing that we cared about. And that is something that, again, I think that we can carry forward. Mm -hmm. What have we learned about who and and what we value in our society? Well, uh, I think that, you know, we learned, you know, once again, that we had valued people uh, based on their economic productivity. And we saw uh, that that 
that isn't always true. Um, That, you know, it's possible to value people based on some other criteria. What would you say, John, to to those listening who maybe felt like they weren't able to, to make certain adjustments to their lives or to their priorities during this time? Right. Well, I think that the in particular, the people who were not able to, to, well, they may have had to make adjustments, but, you know, things got even more intense. I think about, you know, frontline workers, think about a lot of teachers. I think about, you know, people who work in food retail or people who work all along the supply chain. Their jobs became more dangerous and, and intense. And any adjustments they made were to deal with that fact. I think that we have seen exactly how much our society depends on their labor and they deserve so much more Mm -hmm. uh, than they had been getting for their labor prior to the pandemic. You know, these are workers who deserve much higher wages. They deserve better conditions. They deserve to have a voice in what their conditions are like, because down the road, uh, you know, we could be in in real trouble uh, if, for instance, there's a mass quit of nurses or, or something like that. And we see the continuing problems along the supply chain, I think, partly because those workers are still not valued in the way that they they rightly deserve. John, I want to go back to something you, you talked about a little earlier, you know, just our awareness of folks who haven't been able to do so well with with this with this virus. A piece that you wrote in the New York Times last fall includes a, a story about your friend. Uh, she's an academic. Uh, she loved her life. She loved her work. And then she developed a, a debilitating illness that sort of changed her ability to have as much productive output. So talk to us about how you think we've become more aware of people with disabilities and people who are immunocompromised through the course of this pandemic. Yeah, and I, I think about that in in context of my part-time work as a college instructor. You know, right away, two years ago, my class shifted entirely online, and then we had a year where things were kind of hybrid, and that was kind of unsatisfying to everyone. And, and we've been in person this past year, and... There remain students who are hesitant to go back to fully in person with, you know, with the the continuing threat of the virus. And, you know, those students have gotten quite a bit of accommodation. Uh, I think that faculty uh, and fellow students are a bit more sensitive to the fact that not everyone is fully comfortable or, or able to participate in the, the fully in-person way of holding a class. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that there is a greater awareness of disability and, and chronic illness to, and to try to design our, our classes and other, uh, other areas of our lives in a way that both allows, you know, immunocompromised people and others to fully participate, you know, and, and have a, a good experience for everyone. You know, John, there were big debates over the last few years about how we work, how we school, how we think about the the collective versus individual responsibility. So with that in mind, were there lessons that you think we did not quite learn? 
Well, I mean, I think that the, yeah, it, I guess I would say that, you know, the lessons, like I, I talked about the lesson of dignity earlier. Mm-hmm. And on, on one level, I think that we, we learned it. I don't know that it's been entirely internalized yet. And yeah, I mean, a lesson that I hope we can continue working on in the coming years would be how we approach people who are doing their jobs. So, you know, whether the, whether we are the customer or the, the client or the patient or the student or the passenger or something like that, mm-hmm. recognizing that those, you know, and of course, the, those things are flipped around. Like most of us are workers who, who deal with the public, too. And, you know, it's what's so disturbing over the last several months is the rise in angry customers and passengers and patients lashing out at people who are trying to do their jobs. And, you know, that puts an incredible burden on them. I I hope that one thing we can try to continue doing better at in the coming years is a little bit more respect for others doing their jobs, just as we would hope to receive that respect when we are doing our jobs. Yeah. Your advice for for those listening who might feel overwhelmed or continue to struggle with the pandemic and, and all that's come with it? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, you know, continue talking to people honestly, you know, talk to your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors about your experience, about your expectations for society and, you know, particularly from your job. Have those expectations changed yeah. and how how might we be able to organize and rearrange society so that more of those expectations can be fulfilled? What are you personally keeping in mind as we move forward and, and really live with this thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to um, maintain that kind of compassion for others around me. And I admit, you know, I, I probably preach uh, compassion better than I practice it in my day-to-day life. And, you know, try to recognize that I don't necessarily know what the next person uh, may have endured or may be going through and cutting them a bit of slack uh, and, and, you know, giving them a bit more compassion is probably, it's better to err on that side than the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, to that end, you also, as as we've mentioned, you write about burnout, uh, specifically as it pertains to work. What do you think about the whole notion of COVID fatigue? Yeah, the way that I talk about burnout is primarily in relation to our work. But I think that that sense of fatigue, of uh, being unable to do a lot of the normal things that sustain our society and sustain our, you know, mental health, uh, it, it does take a toll. And it's after two years, I think it's hard to tell what what's COVID fatigue and what is, you know, what is something else. I suspect that a lot of our, our mental health is worn away very, very gradually, almost imperceptibly. And again, it'll, it'll probably take a while to get back to full strength. We've been speaking with Jonathan Malesic, who's author of The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. John, thank you so much.
Thanks for listening today to The Reset Podcast. For more conversations about how the pandemic changed our lives, Chicago politics, or the latest goings-on in your community, listen and subscribe to this podcast. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon. That's all for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.